join when they can. And that works. So the, the, whole, the whole idea today, we were, um, we're lately, Trevor and I have been accumulating sort of data um, on, on sort of the Canadian, sort of the microcap landscape. So, you know, TSX listed or TSX venture listed companies, the CSE listed venture companies, um, and, uh, you know, some of the smaller ones on the TSX itself. Uh, we recently, once a year, we do a sort of a manual screen. Um, as a matter of fact, probably two, four times a year, we do a manual screen of all the companies that are sort of sub, uh, you know, sub 300, sub $200 million market caps, just to get a lay of the land of what's out there. Um, you know, we screen for profitability, we screen for valuations, we screen for growth and things like that. So uh, we've got some data sets around that. Um, I can tell you that uh, roughly 60 of, of the, of all the companies that are listed uh, in all the three major markets in, in Canada, uh, which of course there's thousands of them, but um, uh, under $300 million market cap, we found 62 that were profitable which kind of surprised me that that's probably about, that's probably less than 5% of the listings um, uh, that market cap are, uh, are profitable. Um, there is a bit of an asterisk on that though, Paul, right? We, we excluded some of the resource uh, related business. Yeah. Ex uh, okay. Service companies as well. True. Yeah. Okay. So there, yeah, I guess you're right. There's um, a few that we screened out. So these are, um, more or less the, the non-resource based companies. I mean, we've got some that are service companies. We had Geodrill, I think in there and Forco and a few others that made the list, but uh, I guess it's not a, a perfect list, but still the, the percentage of companies that we found that were uh, profitable as opposed to not profitable was pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Um, and then of that subset, that, that sort of 62 companies, um, uh, we found uh, 19 that were growing by more than 50%. Uh, at least our top line was growing by more than 50%. We found six that are growing by more than 100%. Uh, and then as far as valuations, um, there were 16 of these profitable companies that had a market cap of less than 10 million. Sorry, 13 that were less than 10 million. Uh, 16 of them had an enterprise value of less than 10 million. Uh, 14 of these companies had an enterprise value or sorry, EV to earnings of less than five. So, um, you know, there's, there's clearly some cheap, cheap uh, sort of businesses out there. Um, you know, it's questionable whether they're going to get cheaper or whether, you know, their, their earnings are going to uh, decline here going into any kind of recession. So that's, you know, the uh, markets are trying to tell you something, but, you know, from from these lists, we do this, like I said, several times a year um, over the course of the last seven or eight years, um, sort of playing down in the real nano cap market um, and trying to stick to profitability in some form of growth. We've been able to pick uh, you know pick off some some really interesting names that have done exceedingly well over the last several years. Um, this is actually how I found Expel uh, 13, 14 years ago. This is how we found Sangoma very early. Um, there's been a whole host of different businesses that we've managed to, to pick off very early that were these sub 10, sub $20 million market caps. And, um, and then, you know, even recently we, uh, we found Inventronics when it had, a I think about a million and a half dollar market cap. It's now, it's easily 10 X that, um, we found FabForm this way. 
that had a market cap of around 2 million when we found it. I think today it's approaching 18 million. Um, so, you know, you, you make a fair bit of return uh, by buying some of these things. And, and if they're profitable, obviously the risk is a little bit lower than, than a company that hasn't generated a profit. So there's some interesting things that you can find if, uh, if you're willing to sort of do the work here. And then the other thing too that we're keeping track of, and we've we've brought this up a number of times in our our discussions within small cap discoveries, but uh, we're finding more and more companies now down market in these sort of profitable or close to profitable businesses that are getting acquired. Uh, last week we saw a Smart Employee Benefit uh, get uh, announced that they're getting acquired. Uh, that's a company we've interviewed a number of times. Um, we also had uh, that ICPEI, an insurance company that actually, um, unfortunately, ranked extremely high on our uh, cheapest with a chance list, but it got bought out before we can uh, sort of go to publication with that list. Um, otherwise, that one screened very well. Um, but I think, you know, this environment that we're in right now and the valuations we're seeing so many of these little businesses, it it's pretty clear to us that we're going to see more of these acquisitions because it's it's going to be, quite frankly, cheaper for uh, bigger companies to buy than it is to rebuild and try to, to try to build something similar. So I think that's going to continue. Um, Paul, just to interject yeah, here, yeah. Uh, our, our guests have arrived. All right, perfect. Uh, Harold and Julian, just want to make sure you guys know how to unmute yourselves, but... Uh, uh, you know, before you guys dig in here, I'll just give a little uh, little background on who's joining us today. Uh, today, we've got Harold Leishman and Julian Goto from LLC Private Wealth. They're over at uh, uh, Canaccord Genuity or CG Wealth Management. Um, LLC Private Wealth is a team of nine individuals with experts focused on either large cap conservative portfolios or small and micro cap strategies. Both Harold and Julian are very passionate, as we all are, about small and microcap investing. They're definitely data-driven, and they manage one of the most comprehensive data sets on the, uh, of Canadian microcaps on the street. Harold is also a founding partner of the team with 30 years' experience in microcap stocks, while Julian is responsible for managing and maintaining the screens and data sets, and he's been investing in microcaps since he was 13. So we've got these guys here. They're going to be, they've, they've compiled uh, um, a large data set um, about, you know, the money flows that are kind of coming in and out of the venture market. And uh, yeah, we'll open it up to you guys and kind of let you guys tell us about this data set, what it means, how you interpret it. And uh, yeah, I invite you guys to unmute yourself now. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks, Trevor. We've got Harold here and uh, Julian. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, always Welcome. a pleasure. Welcome. Always good to hear Harold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Julian, do you want to do you want to go through sort of the the dollar the dollar value yeah, stuff that we did? I'll mute myself so there's no echo. For sure, for sure. So I guess I don't know. I'll just lead it by saying that um, you know we're obviously data junkies, um, and I think most of it comes from a you know a bottom up looking at companies approach. Um, and our kind of me and Harold's thesis was, you know, you can pick the company correctly, but, you know, probably a large amount of, of returns are going to be based on kind of the ebbs and flows of the tides. And you obviously hear they, the, you know, the adage, the rising tide floats all boats. And I think that, you know, 
it's it's never as true as it is in small cap markets um, in Canada. So basically what we did is we compiled the the dollar turnover, which is just the dollar value of all the stocks traded on both the venture and the CSE. Um, so, you know, we put that together, um, crunched all the data and, and, and just shows what I think is interesting is it kind of confirms um, what a lot of people in the small cap space are feeling that, you know, these things at the, at the end of the whip, at the bottom of the ladder, as far as size are pretty washed out. Um, you know, the tide is out and, and I've, I kind of see it as a, as a measure of froth. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, it, it's interesting that, you know, this is something that, on any given month, um, $400 million of turnover between the two Canadian small cap exchanges, and we can get up to an excess of $10 billion when, you know, the money flows in, whether that's a raging cannabis market or or something else that, you know, risk on and, and spec money's coming back in. And so um, something that we've seen in the data that's interesting, and um, maybe Harold wants to touch on it too, is that there's probably three or four occurrences besides today where we're at less of, of a dollar turnover monthly. And all those occurrences kind of in the last 15 years have happened before the influx of cannabis. Um, so, you know, even with all the cannabis trades taking place, especially on the CSE, uh, we're at all time lows as far as you know, capital flows in small cap Canadian markets. And so, you know, our thesis is this is probably a good time to be looking at, you know, some quality, some quality names that are, you know, either profitable or close to it. And, and guys, I mean, I think it's important to note that, I mean, if you go back historically, there's a direct correlation between volume. So when, uh, you know, the lows that we've hit in almost every bear market um, is corresponded with a low in volume trading. Uh, and dollar volume, and and the subsequent, you know, flip side is, you know, most of the highs we've seen in these markets uh, have correlated with high volume. So that's why this data is important. Is when we're seeing near historical lows in volume, that's likely meaning that we're, you know, at or near an inflection point uh, from from a, sort of a bottom uh, of a market approach. And 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 Julian, while we don't have visuals in the Twitter space here, just um, it might be helpful for all the listeners, like. You know which years are like uh, are are tied to you know the most frothy or the least frothy. Like you know what year you know had the highest volume traded and what year had the lowest. So it would be helpful for everyone. Before, before before we get onto that, Trevor, just it, it's Harold here. One thing to add, um, and the reason we we chose the TSX B and the CSE um, was we sort of felt that would capture most of. Uh, the, the volume traded and the the CSE with the start of the cannabis market uh, went from basically a non-existent uh, in terms of the percentage of the total value to it's currently around forty percent. Obviously, at the the height of uh, the height of the uh, the cannabis boom, it was significantly higher. Uh, you know, it got up to almost sixty percent, sixty five percent of total volume. So that's why we've added it together. Um, and uh, it gives you a sort of a different view on it. If you're just looking at the venture exchange or just the CSE, um, uh, it's a little it's a little limited. Uh, and in terms of the highest the highest peak we could find in the last 15 years was in 2021. 
Uh, and that's when it uh, it got up past uh, eleven billion dollars a month in uh, in total value traded, versus you know twenty fifteen it was sub four hundred million. So the the multiple expansion on that is tremendous. And and I think what we've been feeling is moving from that extreme all time high down to an almost all time low is uh, has been challenging for many investors. Yeah, and um, I'd be curious, and I don't have the data in front of me, but um, I would imagine there's more listings today than there was back in 2015. Uh, so we're we're dealing with lower volumes, lower dollar volumes, and sort of a higher, so it's, it's spread out amongst more names, I would imagine, uh, in this environment. So it's, a, it's almost like more depressing that there's there's more names out there with, with less and less volume. Yeah, it's all- yeah, it's always hard, it's always hard to know. You know, there's so many companies that get listed um, and then fall off the map. And of course, all the really good companies uh, or the successful companies end up transitioning to the TSX or Nasdaq or Amex or whatever. Uh, so that would definitely be a, a moving target uh, and another sort of interesting data point. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the other thing I, I see people often they they'll reference like the the index the the, the TSXV index or the CSC index and I, I I keep thinking that's such a, a mistake because just as you mentioned when like all the good companies end up graduating and all the sort of the terrible ones sort of they, they turn into zombies and then continue to depress the market so you're never really going to get a a proper valuation of of sort of the the, the the livelihood or the, the 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 pulse of the market by just looking at the the, the venture index, I, I would I would argue this volume uh, chart is better correlated to what's really going on the markets than the actual index itself. We think we think so. Yeah, that was kind yeah. of the purpose of of uh, putting it together, and we'll see if we can get it published on our website. We've got to float it through compliance and everything else, but um, uh, that was. Uh, sort of in our mind, one of our tools for, you know, managing um, our own money and client money in the speculative markets is, um, you know, when when interest is low, when the when the fear is high, it's a good mm-hmm. time to be taking positions. But you also want to be aware of, you know, when you're at an all time an all time high and maybe you want to be a little more prudent or a little more cautious with your approach mm-hmm. um, or a little more cash focused. <laughs> With your approach, yeah. um, it is um, it is a highly uh, volatile chart, uh, and there are one or two anomalies in it. You know, there was there was one weird blip back in 2015 where, you know, there was there was like three billion dollars of debt traded on the CSE for a Canadian utility, which you know you mm. gotta with any set of data you gotta dig into it and look at the outliers and try to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but like I said, we'll see if we can get it published on our website and certainly people can mm-hmm. dig into it at their, at their leisure. And, and, and Harold, like what, uh, is this data measurable monthly? Is it weekly? Is it uh, annually? What, what does that sort of data stream look like? For sure, Paul, it's, it's just the monthly. So it's monthly turnover on both okay. exchanges. Um, and yeah, I don't know, a, okay. lo- a lot of it is probably what you'd assume, right? There's, there's a all-time low, 2008, 2009, um, the next low is sort of more sustained kind of end of 2015, beginning of 2016, um, mm-hmm. brief dip 2017. And then essentially the, the next, the next one is now. 
Um, mm-hmm. And as far as, you know, not as maybe not as far as uh, like, uh, yeah, like you said, I think price price is an incomplete sort of measure. Um, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting that even compared to, you know, COVID lows, um, we're, we're mm-hmm. lower today as far as what's being traded yeah. monthly, yeah. Um, which is interesting. And, yeah, COVID. And then, so if it's monthly, then I guess my qu- the next question is like, is there, uh, does it appear to be bottoming? Is it still trending down? Is it trending up? I mean, what, what do the last couple months look like compared to say, you know, mid-year or early 2022? Yeah, I mean, you could, you could probably make a case, like if you look at the chart, it looks like it's bottoming here. Um, it looks mm-hmm. like it's bottoming here. I mean, just on the, you know, also on the, kind of an eyeball test it looks like a lot of these names that were looking quite cheap a few months ago have sort of you know put on a quick 20 percent and um mm-hmm. so i don't know i mean that we we think it's a good time to be adding and uh that's what we're yeah. doing yeah well i mean anecdotally I, I would agree with you i think from what we're seeing we're definitely seeing a stronger bid under a lot of the names we're looking at here certainly you know into the new year um, but one of my questions was going to be around, I mean, how the, these, these dips, uh, if you look at the bat, the, the last dip in say 2008, 2009, how long do, do these volumes tend to stay depressed when they're in this kind of phase right now? That's, that's actually something that we, we did look at the, the most prolonged dip actually, um, I'm going to say started in, in, in 20, in 2012, things came off. And with the exception of that, that one uh, odd blip, it actually lasted to 2016. I mean, there was some, there was some oscillations, but it, it went quiet for, for quite a while, not at, not at all time lows, but kind of, um, you know, bottom, bottom two thirds of the chart type thing. And I think uh, from from our perspective, um, that allows us to focus on companies that are outperforming. They will start, in, in our opinion, if you focus on the ones that are outperforming financially, but also starting to outperform the market or break away and do their own, their own thing, um, mm-hmm. is a great indicator of companies that could be successful. When the market's ripping, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, everything's flying, you know, junk stories, yeah. cannab- you know, crazy stories, yeah. Cannab- yeah. cannabis stories sure. that are burning cash or whatever. And so yeah. um, I think this is a, a great opportunity to find companies that are hitting their mark and performing and perhaps uh, acting independently of the market. And that's probably where you can get, you know, better returns a little quicker. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with you hundred percent. I think what, what my experience has been is that, you know, when we come out of a, you know, bad, market or bear market or the kind of market we've seen here over the last two years, um, it takes a while for investor confidence to come back. So they, they rarely come back into the junior market, right? They're going to come back into the dividend plays or where they think it's safer and the big blue chips and stuff like that. That's where they tend to allocate money. And then as their confidence grows through the years, uh, that's when they start allocating down market, right? So I, I, I think we're just going through that normal cycle and that's kind of you know, what you just said, I think I agree with 100%. There, there's, there's so many smaller stocks right now and businesses that are performing really well, but there just isn't that investor confidence come down market and take advantage of these things. And it, it'll come, but the, the question is how long it, it takes for, for that market to, to gain strength again. And then, of course, you get into that hyper bull market right near the end. 
and uh, and that's where the volume comes ripping back. So I, yeah. I just think we're going through another normal cycle that anybody who's astute and getting the kind of data you're getting, you can build that confidence to go down market and start taking advantage of these things. Absolutely, and just because it's and just because it's the the volume, you know, the dollar value is down here. It doesn't mean that it's going to rebound tomorrow. I guess is at the end of the day, it's still these are still illiquid situations and so you know people need to have patience and and uh wait for wait for things to improve as long as you're buying you know quality businesses that are uh either generating cash or or turning the corner to generating cash um because it could you know it, it it could it could be challenging for a while right it's it's not a it, it's not an indication that markets yeah. are going to turn around and run away to the upside tomorrow that's that's not at all what the data says yeah, no, I, I, that's exactly what I would argue is just what you said, just that it's, I think it's going to be years before we get that, that, that sort of crazy bull market again. I think it's inevitable. It's just, I think it takes, it, it's going to take a while before we get there. And um, again, I, I, I just go back to what the opportunity set looks like right now. And, uh, you know, when I remember 2013, 2014, sort of coming out of the, the great financial crisis, it was years before we got into a real bull market, but there were some there were some opportunities within that time set that that perf- outperformed significantly, but then went absolutely crazy uh, in in the, the the sort of the real micro cap bull market that we saw. You know, call it twenty twenty and into twenty twenty one. So I think the the opportunity is certainly there, and I think uh, you're reading it right. If uh, if if you think it's it's going to take a while before we get into you know a big bull market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, another question I had, like usually when markets, you know, turn the way they are right now, certainly down market into the microcaps where these, you know, most of these companies are, are, you know, there because they need to raise money, they need to, you know, do, do financings. Um, I mean, you're sort of much closer to it than I am. Uh, what's the financing landscape look like out there? Because that's a big driver of volume as well. Uh, well, I guess it depends on which which side of the coin you're looking at. Um, uh, in terms of uh, interest, uh, people deploying capital, I, I think it's a pretty difficult market to to raise mm. money, uh, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, we're, we're, not, we're, not, the, we're not seeing a lot of IPOs. Most of the businesses yeah. we're following don't necessarily need to raise money. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll see. There's a couple of things we're looking at right now where we think they may need some capital for growth and we'll see what the appetite is. Um, um, I guess it I guess it depends which end of the lens you're looking at. Uh, most investors are pretty cautious. So I think it's, it's a hard it's a hard time to raise money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK, so the re- part of the reason I, I raised the question is because I, you know, I thought it was going to give you half the answer. Did I lose you, Paul? <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm still here. I don't know. Can anybody hear me? Yeah, we can hear you, Paul. Okay, good, good. No, my um, the reason I, I bring that up is because uh, just that. I mean, there um, companies companies need money. There's a lot of companies that need money. There's uh, very little money that's going into that sort of higher risk uh, component. Um, so you're you're seeing a lot of companies struggle. Um, but you know what we're what we're seeing right now is we're not seeing a lot of new IPOs. We're not seeing a lot of follow-on financings. Um, that's that's another sign, as far as I'm concerned, um, the, the the risk level or the appetite for anything that's down market or anything that has outsized risk. Um, well, we were we were, we were actually joking about this. Whoa, 
sorry, echo. Uh, yeah, we were, we were actually joking about this the other day, Paul, right, with, uh, you know, all these acquisitions and, you know, a few go private transactions. It's sort of, you know, going back to that froth meter that these, uh, you know, Harold and Julian are talking about, you know, in the peak periods, there's a number of companies that are coming out, you know, a new fad gets started, maybe it's cannabis or a digital health company does well. And then there's 10, 20 sort of copycat companies that fall on that theme. And there's a bunch of mm-hmm. IPOs, RTOs and go public. And here we are sitting at the bottom cycle of the market, or at least not the top, let's put it that way. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're joking about maybe there's going to be no companies to left, you know, you know, really that are investable. Because if we've mm-hmm. whittled, you know, this 3,500 companies down to 60 or 90 or 100 companies that are profitable and worth looking at, all of a sudden they're starting to disappear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the life cycle of it, I, I just find, you know, it's quite interesting to sort of watch the life cycle of these companies sort of come and go. And um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, um, okay, so so we've sort of discussed that or come to the conclusion somewhat that, you know, this is a, this is sort of a good market to be looking at least and trying to find opportunities. Um, what, where do you see the opportunities right now? Is there specific sectors? Is there specific types of companies? I mean, you mentioned companies that are profitable or, or you know, basically don't need to raise money. What, what, where are you seeing opportunities right now? Um, we're, we're sort of focused on kind of the same things as you. We're focused mm-hmm. on, on companies that, um, I mean, there's, there's opportunities out there that are trading for you know, slight premiums to their cash value and have operating businesses and make money and have catalysts in the future. And um, so that's principally where we're focused. We're not really uh, into any uh, market segment. It's, it's really about, Hey, who's um, who's got uh, a low risk and um, uh, revenue growth, which is fairly apparent or optionality that is fairly near term. Um uh, we're, we are willing to pay a higher multiple um, if there is, you know, significant revenue and earnings growth um, that is, uh, again, either readily apparent or near term. I mean, there's a couple of companies out there that have mm-hmm. absolutely, you know, blown the top off uh, um, uh, their revenue growth. And, you know, EBITDA is just turning positive. And we, we think they've got tremendous runways for lots of continued growth and that's kind of where we're putting our money and, and recommending to clients that they mm-hmm. put their money um, because we think that will get uh, revalued in the not too distant future. And that's the fun of speculation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we're right. And yeah. sometimes we're not. So, and, and I, I mean, I know the answers. I know how you work Harold, but are you, you're, are you doing bottom up uh, analysis or are you doing top down? Do you try to find a sector and then try to find the best, player in the sector are you really just going from we're, we're, the numbers we're with the numbers and so um you know we're tracking i guess 90 odd companies well we screen the universe um you know every every month we're looking for companies that are making uh new highs or percentage moves and then we just uh consolidate well we sort of get a, a history of their financial performance over the say the last i think it's 14 quarters that we look at, look for trends and then relative valuations um, uh, for, you know, 
you know, revenues and, uh, and EV to EBITDA and, and really trying to capitalize on things where we can see, you know, massive earnings growth in the not too distant future. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a sort of a mini algorithm we've got and we're happy to, well, I think we've shown you and we're happy to show anybody else what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it, it's, it starts with who's cheapest and growing fastest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, perfect. And, I, and, we, yeah. And, and and ideally and ideally if you can if you can pick up a catalyst you know a catalyst or two for free i mean some of these companies are what i like to refer to as you know self-funding lottery tickets right they just mm-hmm. keep they keep producing um uh you know shots for the big time and they fund it with their free cash flow and they trade for low single digit earnings multiples and you know, if you have 20 of those in your portfolio, at some point, you're probably going to do okay, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I mean, we've seen, you know, we've seen companies put out good news. We've seen companies, you know, over the last little while, put out good news and not move. Um, what, what, it's more, I guess, a gut feel or anecdotal, but um, what's the lay of the market right now? Are you seeing response to good news because i'd i'd argue six months ago a company could have put out whatever good news there was and there was no reaction in the market <laughs> so um are we still in that kind of market or is it getting a little bit better I, I would i would say it's getting it's getting a little bit better but only marginally i mean there's companies mm-hmm. out there that are generating mountains of cash and you know the price goes up you know a nickel or something it doesn't go up much you know less than 10 mm-hmm. percent. if you put out anything uh anything less than good you you're getting absolutely decimated well actually to be fair i think mm-hmm. that's already happened everything's been decimated already that hasn't mm-hmm. put out um uh, less than exemplary numbers um so if if um and that sort of goes back to why we think if if stocks are starting to outperform the market even a little bit um and there's some good results there uh in a, in a better environment you could get a fairly significant lift so it's it's getting mm-hmm. better but it's not been uh it's not frothy mm-hmm. that way. No, it's def- definitely not frothy. That's for sure. <laughs> um, the, um, uh, the, the, so the, the question I'd sort of asked earlier, I don't know if I've really got the answer I was looking for, but are you finding any sectors that are performing better than others? Like, are you finding any clumps of stocks that are, are doing better? I mean, one thing we've noticed is, a lot of the stocks that have been performing a little bit better than most are, you know, generating cash for sure, but also companies that have NCIBs, so they're buying back their stock. Are you are you seeing anything out there that, that's of note? Um, I don't know. I mean, there's certainly there's a number of names in we'll call it life science life science area that are probably doing a bit better, uh, and maybe that's because mm-hmm. they took the the brunt of it. Earlier with the, with the general market, um, you know, we certainly look at companies that have active NCIBs as a great plus. Um, mm-hmm. um, but I wouldn't um, I wouldn't say there's anything out there that's really killing it in the market that that I've seen. You know, mm-hmm. it's um, uh, just companies performing well. Stocks stocks are going sideways if they're doing well and and maybe going up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Julian, sort of Julian's whispering. He said profitability definitely matters. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I think we've almost come full circle. I think two years ago, 
it was growth at all costs that was getting people excited. And now it's, uh, it's, it's profit at all costs, right? If a company's not making money and runs the risk that they have to go and raise money in, in the near future, I think, you know, the investor, you know, investors are, are shunning those companies like crazy. Um, but one, one other thing I, I, I note, and maybe you can agree, disagree, but um, I, I still think that the, the average investor right now is still very skittish. And if they're holding one of these stocks that are, you know, starting to bounce, I'm finding a lot of people are happy to take a, you know, a 20% gain right now and run and sort of hide their cash. Where um, if we are at sort of the early stages of a bull market, you'd think that, you know, a 20% move is nothing compared to what really can, you know, these business can, can generate. Um, I mean, where, where do you see the investor psyche with, you know, even some of these companies that are starting to kind of outperform right now. Yeah, well, I think you're right. I think people are are still in that mindset of, you know, there's been there's been lots of damage, and so if you have some if you have some green uh, in your portfolio, people are inclined to um, act on it and say, well, at least I've got a profit, which which you know, mm-hmm. in my view, is usually short sighted. Um, um, the other the other thing I'd say is, uh, you know. Uh, Clients are um, frustrated um, to the point where, like, they don't understand that this is where this is where patience becomes an asset, right? Mm-hmm. They're looking at these things, saying, "Hey, I've got this," and the company's performing well, uh, and the stock market doesn't care. So, you know, this isn't uh, this isn't a good strategy, and so it's um, uh, it's a weird time, right? Investing is mm-hmm. uh, is a highly emotional experience. Uh, whether you want to accept it or not, it is uh, it is true for everyone, um, mm-hmm. and 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 boredom and boredom is its own emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, okay, so you looked at this volume sort of base data, dollar volume, uh, trading volume. What what other data do you do you rely on? What what other stuff do you look for? Well, our focus, like I said, is is primarily we're it's it's all about revenue growth and and earnings growth mm-hmm. and um we do have extensive calls with management on an ongoing basis uh so um, um you know one of the things i guess we have in our algorithm or one of the algorithms we run is you know relative performance of the stock versus the venture exchange right mm-hmm. so so we can we can rank our companies or our, our data set by you know, who's cheapest growing fastest. And on top of that, who's also outperforming the market best. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's where we want to, you know, make sure we have a position. If mm-hmm. it's cheap and growing fast and the market's starting to respond to it, um, uh, you know, that's, that's better than something where, you know, the market is punishing it, even if it is cheap, right? You can mm-hmm. get stuck in these things for a long time. Doesn't mean you don't want to own it for a long time, but mm-hmm. you also want to focus on, um, uh, you know, returns are a question of percentage made over time. So, mm-hmm. gotcha. Now, um, here's a tricky question because I know you've got all sorts of compliance uh, issues got to deal with. But are there are there names we can talk about? Are there any things that that you know we won't give buyer seller recommendations? But anything that you're seeing screening well, uh, you know, any metrics around that you can talk about? Anything you feel comfortable saying there? Um, yeah, I don't, um, I don't know 
uh, how much I can get into that in a general call. I will say, you know, like there is, there are some companies out there, like I said, um, and these are, you know, to put it mildly, these are all highly speculative, mm-hmm. high risk situations from an investing perspective. We're dealing in penny stocks. And so people sure. should, should consult. Um, but there's, you know, you could, you could look at, um, uh, a number of companies. There's a company called Cresita, as an example, that trades at a slight mm-hmm. premium to cash. I know you're aware of it. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you can, if uh, one of my one of my father's favorite stories is he went to uh, he went to uh, whatever the discount stores in the states for Nordstrom Nordstrom rack, I guess, and he bought a shirt for a dollar. Mm-hmm. And when he got home, when he put on the shirt, he found a dollar in the pocket. <laughs> So, so if, if you can go buy a business that's trading for cash, you're kind of buying the business for free. Yeah. You know, you have, to, yeah. you have to ascertain whether you think there's additional upside from there, of course, or whether, you know, what other risks there may be in the business. It's because it's never quite that straightforward. But, you know, things can get fairly, fairly simple in that, in that uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, but there's lots of other companies. You know, every company out there, even the ones making money or growing they also have their own risks you know um and you know the employment situation right now if the company uh, requires lots of you know low wage workers you know they're going to struggle probably right because you can't get workers mm-hmm. um um you know i uh, i know you know you're a, a director of atlas so you probably can't discuss it too in depth mm-hmm. but i mean you know it it's producing lots of cash and trades for low multiple the general market view i'm assuming is that there's you know some sort of housing crisis looming which may or may not be and so it trades for a low multiple which mm-hmm. is you know which is the right which is the right perspective i you know well, time will time will tell and and uh, people can deploy their capital as they as they see fit but i don't really want to get into a whole bunch of blanket recommendations because that will get me in Exactly. Trouble. You get trouble in trouble. Yeah. Sure. Well, I, I think, I mean, the, 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 it's interesting sort of the, the mispricing we're seeing. What I was trying to get at is that, um, you know, I've been doing this for 30 plus years. Um, there, there are certain times within that 30, 30 years or so that you get just crazy mispricing where you're seeing assets that are, you know, businesses that are trading well below their assets, in some cases, well below their cash. Uh, they're profitable, um, you know, growing, and um, you just don't see that in in bull markets. You don't see the kind of valuations we're seeing on a number of these deals, even in sort of somewhat normal markets. So th- this, I don't say this is uh, an abnormality, uh, or, or certainly a lot of these things are trading well below the median or the mean uh, historically. So it, if if you can if you can stomach the volatility and stomach the uncertainty right now, um, you know, there's the risk award to me certainly looks better in a lot of these uh, these assets than we usually see. The flip side is they don't move as fast as they do in a bull market. So when you buy something, you can't expect it to move the next, you know, within hours. <laughs> um, but certainly values are there. Absolutely. You got something trading for, you know, three, four, five times earnings and earnings are growing at 70, 80, 100, 120%. Like it, mm-hmm. it won't take long for the valuation to get sillier than it is now. Um, and the volatility is really more a question of the illiquidity in the market, right? So, um, yeah. because there's no there's no stock trading, you know, something can trade from seventy cents to fifty cents on virtually ten thousand dollars of stock. 
Um, and, 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 you know, percentage wise, obviously that feels like a lot, but it's, Mm -hmm. it is just that illiquidity, um, you know, manifesting as volatility. So yeah, it is, it is a time for courage. Yeah. Oh, for sure. (laughs) Um, the other thing, uh, that we talk about, uh, for a bit is, uh, sort of institutional money. Um, so much of, uh, sort of bull markets are really driven by the, the, the large pools of capital, uh, institutions, ETFs, um, you know, just larger investors. Um, I mean, again, you've got a bit of a pulse in the market. Are you seeing any, anything in the way of institutional money down market in these sort of nano caps and micro caps, um, right now? Uh, not so much institutionally. Um, Mm. What what has been new or sort of I'm going to call it a a newer phenomenon that I think we've seen are family offices. There's mm-hmm. there's quite a few family offices um, which have which we talk to and have come and are are looking around and their their issue is um, uh, you know how do you get a position in some of these things uh, and their but their viewpoint is different than you know, traditional institutional money, traditional institutional money is pretty hot and pretty fast. They mm-hmm. have to, they have to keep up with benchmarks or exceed benchmarks. And so when the market's on, they come on and they, and they drive a ton of liquidity in, which is when you see these big spikes in, in volume and value in these things. And when the market's terrible, they have to blow it out um, because mm-hmm. they can't have it on their books to underperform the family mm-hmm. office money that we've talked to, you know, their view is, we'd like to take a position and hold it for 10 years mm-hmm. as long as we think it's going to outperform because they're, you know, that's what family offices are for, right? It's mm-hmm. preserving and growing this long-term wealth. So I would say um, no to institutional money currently, but there are family offices um, that are actively assessing um, lots of different opportunities in the space. And, um, and in, in some cases, you know, quietly trying to soak up uh, a meaningful position. You know, if they can buy 9% of a company or 5% of a company um, mm-hmm. that's cheap and growing fast, um, that, that could serve them well, you know, over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I'm seeing the exact same thing. Um, I talked to both the institutional sort of uh, network that I know and then the, the family office network that, that I, I deal with as well. You've described it perfectly. Um, one is run away from the the market, and the other one is now more intrigued because of the valuations. And and of course, their challenge is just that is they're you know trying to establish a meaningful position in some of these. But I I'm also noticing that some of these type of uh, investors, these family office type organizations, they're the ones that are triggering some of these acquisitions or uh, quasi private equity style acquisitions of these businesses. So it's it's interesting that they're uh, sort of moving the way they are, but I think ultimately it's a sign of where we are in this market. These guys are typically more driven by value and opportunity and less by momentum, whereas the institutional guys are significantly more momentum-based investors. Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember talking to one family office and he he referred to the Canadian venture markets as semi-private equity. It's like buying Mm -hmm. a private equity situation and you have occasional or partial liquidity at times, um, which was which was fine if you had the right time time frame for that. Um, and, and, you know, family offices aren't bonused on returns like fund managers are. So Mm -hmm. they've got a different, a different timeframe that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, exactly. Um, well, listen, I mean, I, I think, uh, I'm not sure if anybody's got any questions, um, but uh, it'd be good to open up, uh, you know, the lines or if anybody's got a question, maybe um, raise your hand and uh, we'll, uh, we'll try to get uh, Harold to answer it if we can. Um, so feel free to, to think of something and, and fire it at us. Um, uh, in the meantime, Harold, what, uh, what else do you have to say about these markets? What, uh, what, what's your outlook for 2023? I'm, I'm, well, I'm reasonably optimistic. Um, you know, personally, um, I've been deploying, I've been deploying cash into it. Um, and, you know, with any market, you never really know what, um, what the catalyst is that will sort of get things going again. Um, but there's there's enough volatility, enough things going on that uh, I think something will light it at some point. I mean, it could be it could be mining. Who knows? Mining's been in a long suffering funk for uh, well for ages. It feels like um, who who knows? Right? It's it's hard to uh, it's it's hard to say. I think the I think um, one of my one of our other partners. Uh, who manages conservative money, and he does it in a similar way as, well, his platform is all about free cash flow, and that's the same way mm -hmm. ours is. And and he's been pretty defensive all last year, and he is, you know, he's actively looking for um, uh, moments of weakness to redeploy capital um, in the conservative markets. And I certainly think if you got stability in the conservative markets and uh, you know a more robust stock market in general that could be a catalyst for money to trickle down into these juniors as well so mm -hmm. uh, he's currently sitting in about 25 percent cash so he's got a ways mm -hmm. he's got a ways to go um, that's down from the 30 plus percent cash he was in sort of late last year so um, so we'll see so I think that that could be something um, but the um, uh, the biggest the biggest uh, hurdle that my clients currently have is having the courage of their convictions and having the patience to see these things through. Um, and, um, you know, if you find a good opportunity, you have to trim the ones that haven't performed or sell them outright and and uh, redeploy the capital into something you think is going to be better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in your experience, what 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 sort of what are signs to look for that we're getting out of the funk like that, that things are starting to head in the right direction. Other than stocks going up. <laughs> yeah, well, that helps. <laughs> I guess yeah. volume and, and dollar volume going up, but uh, is there anything else to look for? I mean, what, one thing that we, we look for is like bot deal financings, for example, or, or, you know, an increase in IPOs. Um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of other factors you can probably throw in there, but is there anything that you guys uh, tend to lean on a little bit more? No, I mean, it's, we, like, we, we're, we tend to be, you know, principally fundamentally driven. I mean, you certainly, you know, you get a lot more promoter calls and we get, we get lots of promoter calls in the office. Um, uh, which get you know primarily they get screened out, but uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the the volume of it the volume of it is pretty low right now, um, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm sure somebody will come up with a hot idea and then the phones will ring off the hook with everyone's got the latest <laughs> gadget or widget or whatever it is, um, and then the you know they'll get 20 calls a day from 
from a, an assortment of promoters. But yeah. yeah, it's 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 tough to say. Like I said, the, the this dollar value measurement is sort of one of our key measures of uh, you know where are we in the cycle, right? And yeah. and um, I think if we see that start to tick up on a month over month basis, um, you know that might uh, cause us to to try to get more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll yeah. see. Yeah. And, and in your opinion, what should, what should investors stay away from? Like what, what, what is still dangerous out there right now? I mean, there's well, always dangers, but what's, what's more dangerous? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the reason, the reason like you were focused on companies with cash flows is, you know, they don't, they're not forced to dilute, right? So if you're mm-hmm. yeah. if you're excited about a hot story, um, you know the chances are they're going to have to go to the market and continue to raise money. And currently, there is no appetite to raise mm-hmm. uh, money, and so they are going to be either massively diluted or, in worst case, not be able to raise the money and and go out of business or mm-hmm. have to consolidate and change their business or whatever. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think I would I would continue to focus on companies that uh, are making money or about to make money, um, um, you know, and or have significant balance sheets uh, if they're break even or whatever that they can uh, withstand a, a setback if it happens. Mm-hmm. And um, are are you guys doing anything around the resource sector? I mean, there there are companies obviously that that have good balance sheets and generating cash. I mean, do you guys look at resources or do you stick you to know, more industrials? We 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 stick primarily to uh, you know companies with cash flow. We do have a significant resource component to our client base, just because. Mm-hmm. Of you know personal backgrounds and and time spent in the in the Canadian markets, um, uh, we don't we don't really uh, recommend it to clients. We do dabble personally in that in that space from time to time because we're because we like to. But um, um, uh, but no, typically the the resource space has been pretty tough. It's. Uh, um, uh, we had saw a couple of companies produce some pretty exciting drill holes, and stocks went nowhere, mm-hmm. literally nowhere. I mean, they had mm-hmm. big intercepts, and nobody nobody cared. Um, some of them have big balance sheets. Um, it doesn't uh, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. I don't think with mm-hmm. with the resource companies, you really have to look at what the majors are doing, and then the mid tiers, and then after they move, eventually it trickles right. down to the juniors. Um, uh, but that's that's not really our our focus. Um, right. It's a little more complex than we can manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm the same way. It's, uh, I find in the resource sector, resource stocks, especially the junior explorers, they do well when there's a raging bull market in that sector, right? Uh, which might be one out of every ten years. So you suffer nine really tough years to try to get that one year, and if you're lucky and time it right, you, you do okay. But I've never been able to to time it right. So, um, yeah. And you can get yourself blown out of the game. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. pretty easily in, in that space. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, not, not where we, uh, none of them, none of them really, really screen, uh, terribly well for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Gotcha. And and you and you once pointed out to me the problem with the resource business is you know you're not you're not really in control of your pricing. Right. Yeah. Your price right? taker. Your price, your price, price price taker, which which yeah. it makes it difficult to have forecasts and all that all that yeah. kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah, and most of them are, are constantly financing. So you're not only your price taker of whatever commodity you're dealing with, but your price taker when it comes to raising money (laughs) absolutely and you're gonna and you're gonna you're gonna you know your job is to spend the money yeah yeah not not as fast as possible but almost yeah you know it's yeah yeah. the way the way it's described to me and this is by somebody within the industry within the mining industry is that uh you know what what a lot of promoters consider assets you know these projects are these these pieces of land they have are not assets or liabilities. That's right. <laughs> you, you, got, you have to spend money. You have to spend <laughs> the more money. Ass, the more quote unquote assets. Exactly. More quote unquote assets you have, the more money you got to spend. Yeah. Um, exactly. So yeah, I, I prefer the other way around. Um, well, cool. Um, well, what else? What else can we talk about here uh, that we haven't covered? If we, uh, you know, um, we talked about data. We talked about sort of your your ideas of what's where the market is right now and where it's going. Um, you know, what, uh, what are the thoughts do you think are important that, uh, investors know right now? Yeah, well, I, I, um, uh, I guess the only other, uh, I don't know if you, if you, uh, covered it, the, one of the latest changes in the venture market are these new life issues, these mm. life prospectus issues. Right. We did, uh, we did a, um, a little blurb on that recently with the securities lawyers. So that sort of changed the financing rules for uh, small public companies. Um, so okay, let, let's get into that. Yeah. Let's get into that. Describe that a little bit. Cause I know a lot of investors don't are really aware of some of the changes that are happening. I mean, there, there's, everybody's probably familiar with the traditional sort of four month hold, uh, you know, these financings that, that are being done, but you know, and, and typically you have to be an accredited investor. Um, the exchange is really trying to change some of these rules uh, make it a little more democratic. Maybe, maybe describe what you're talking about here. Yeah, so they've they've come up with a with a new process for small companies where, with um, you know, call it consistent disclosure about the business, um, they they can fairly uh, quickly and cheaply have a form of prospectus that allows them to raise uh, capital by issuing free trading stock or units uh, to investors. So um, the rules are um, you can raise uh, up to 5 million or 10% of the dollar value of their securities, um, whichever is greater, up to a maximum of $10 million on a rolling 12-month period. Uh, and the, the people investing in it don't need to be accredited. And that's, and that's really a, a, key, a key piece. Um, uh, you know, private placements have always been kind of a weird thing. You know, you could be, uh, you know, a 30-year-old entrepreneur making $190,000 a year and have $900,000 in cash, um, and you're not accredited. Uh, you could be an 80-year-old man with no income but a million dollars of cash and be accredited. I mean, it's certainly mm-hmm. not appropriate for an older person to be speculating necessarily like that, if that's all of their assets for the younger person, it may be more appropriate, right? I mean, if they're mm-hmm. going to grow their income and grow their assets and all that sort of thing. So it's, um, uh, I think useful. And I, and I think from the, from the regulators perspective, they sort of said, Hey, you know, you could be that 30 year old and you can go buy the stock in the market. We'll allow you mm-hmm. to do that, but we won't allow you to invest in the company. I mean, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem uh, fair. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so I think that will be that'll be interesting. It's it's not you're not allowed to do it um, if you're a shell company or a SPAC, and you're also not allowed to do it for um, what was the term they used? You know, significant acquisitions or restructuring. So you yeah. know, if you're if you're call it a a, a small mining company. Uh, or a small and well, mining company is easier, and and you're gonna you've got 10 million shares out, and you're gonna issue 30 million shares for a property. You know that would be a significant uh, significant acquisition. So you mm-hmm. couldn't use it in that form because there's no history right. for the investors to kind of right. gauge where you are um, in the, in the business. Right. So I think it's I think it's um, I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, we'll see what. We'll see what the uh, the capital markets do with it. Uh, the regulators, I think, always do their best to try to um, come up with equitable and fair uh, rules for people to to work with. And the capital markets are intensely creative and will yeah. usually will usually change <laughs> it into something that the regulators hadn't fully anticipated. So I'm I'm very interested to see how this how this plays out. Yeah, no, I agree. You, you described it well. <laughs> and, <laughs> they'll and they'll figure think, they'll, they'll they'll bend the rules as much as they can. Yeah, absolutely, you're creative. But I think it, I think it'll go a long way to making it easier to raise money for um, for public companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they'll still have to give discounts. I mean, like there's no liquidity in these things. And so you go raise, mm-hmm. you know, $4 million at 50 cents. Well, there's no way all that stock can trade into the, the low volume that a lot of these companies mm-hmm. are showing. So they still have to have discounts or attach a warrant or half warrant, um, right. to, to, to take that on. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully companies are smart enough to raise enough capital. Uh, you know, historically, a lot of these small companies, you know, never quite raise enough money to right. achieve their yeah. objectives because um, they're always worried about dilution, um, which mm-hmm. is which is fair. Again, why we like companies with cash flow because it kind of limits that. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think if you're if you're constantly out there raising seven hundred and fifty thousand or a million bucks, you have to do it every four months. Like the stock's not going to go anywhere anyway. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's a big risk, and a lot of investors don't really properly. Um, sort of price into things is the the financing risk or dilution risk uh, when a company's you know burning money and certainly burning money aggressively. Um, so important a thing to watch out for. Um, okay, well, listen, I think uh, we're sort of, we passed the top of the hour here. Um, didn't know exactly how long we'd, we'd take this, but um, uh, I mean, Harold, anything else you want to cover or say uh, before we wrap up? Um, do you think you've sort of said your piece? I think I think I think I have, and, and I really appreciate you uh, inviting Julian and I onto uh, onto your talk. It was great. And like I said, we'll try to get that um, that data set on the website on our website, um, and so if people want to take a look at it. They can take a look at it, and right. and come to their come to their own conclusions. Um, yeah. uh, we might have to put some disclaimers in for if we've if we've taken some bits out or smoothed some lines for our mm-hmm. own uses we'll try to make sure it's all detailed properly but um yeah and we'll try to keep it updated uh on an ongoing basis well perfect well okay so if, if somebody wants more information about what you're doing and wants to get in contact with you what's what's the best way to do that uh the best way i guess is to go to uh the website uh and our website is llcprivatewealth.com 
Perfect. Perfect. And uh, okay, so good. Uh, so we've been speaking with Harold Leishman and Julian uh, Godo. Um, guys, uh, you know, great to talk to you. I know we're going to catch up uh, personally, uh, hopefully not uh, too far from now, but uh, great to have you guys in here. And, you know, hopefully we can catch up with you guys when there's uh, another sort of change in the data that makes, uh, makes sense to talk about. Perfect. Hey, thanks so much for having us. I appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. It. And uh, you bet. Thanks, Julian. Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us today and uh, look to catch up with us again uh, same time next week. Bye for now.